Hello, Convention of State podcast listeners. Normally, we reserve this channel for audio versions of our live broadcast, COS Live and the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. But as a bonus, we like to occasionally release some historic legacy audio for your enjoyment. In this 2015 speech, Utah State Representative Ken Ivory discusses the rules for an Article 5 convention that were proposed by the Convention of State's Legislative Caucus. I have the privilege of introducing Representative Ken Ivory, who will discuss the rules from a legislator's perspective. Representative Ivory was elected to the Utah House of Representatives in 2010. He recently was recognized by his peers at ALEC as Legislator of the Year for his work on the practical application of federalism principles. In his five years in the legislature, he has really become nationally renowned for his leadership on the American Lands Council and on Article 5. Representative Ivory. Thank you, Rita. Uh, What an honor. I'm absolutely honored to be here. Think of what's happened. Over the last four or five years, what's happened in this body, that uh, Alec has been the focal point, the gathering place, for all of these great discussions on how do we restore balance. We see a nation in trouble. We see it every day. We see it in every headline. And it's ominous. But as Ronald Reagan said, what a wonderful time to be alive. We're lucky not to live in pale and timid times. I'm honored and grateful. I see so many in this room that have worked so hard on these Article 5 issues to educate and bring this in front of legislative bodies and and citizen groups and activist groups. And so many have spent so many countless hours working on this because we see a tool and we see a solution that was given to us to to deal with this. And And I'm honored and grateful to all of you in your legislative service. You know, I used to think that the founders... You know, there are a bunch of rich guys that, you know, they had nothing better to do than go out and, and establish liberty and freedom and self-government and self-determination. They didn't have any other cares in the world. And then we know as we get into legislative service, it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard. There are people attacking. There's cares of life. There are all the things that go on. Of course, you're all in it for the money, right? You know? <laughs> That's what the newspapers might say. It's hard. I got to tell you, this was probably one of the hardest years maybe of my life, certainly my legislative career. Just with so many things going on, there was a lot of different things going on. And uh, I'm reminded sitting in San Diego, I was thinking about what I might share. And I was thinking yesterday, looking out the window and seeing these ships coming into harbor. And I remember as a kid, my dad brought me here. My dad was on one of those ships. Um, part of what made this year so hard, my father had a, has a terminal cancer thing, had a brain tumor removed, and uh, we've, we've been caring for him. He's in a veteran's home now, and he brought us down here when we were kids, and we went on the USS Ranger, and we got walk from stem to stern and look at everything. I remember as a kid, I was so impressed that that ship would, would crest over the horizon, it, it was so phenomenal, and he was stationed here. And, and uh, recently, so my dad's in the veterans' home. One of the one of the happiest moments I've seen him over the last couple of years. I took a plaque that he has. He's an atomic bomb veteran. 
What that means is uh, before the Korean War, between World War II and the Korean War, he was in the Pacific. And they would parade these veterans out on the edge of the ship and have them put their hands over their eyes and close their eyes and explode an atomic bomb. And it would go a thousand feet in the air. And he said they could see the bones in their hands through their closed eyes and through their eyelids. And he's got this plaque that he's an atomic bomb veteran. I took that down to him in that picture. He was so proud to see that. And uh, he really, really lightened up. And uh, it, was, it was a great moment. The other, the other thing, I brought down some brisket that I had smoked for the 4th of July. And he said that was the best meal he'd had in, in months and months and months. If you're coming to the Federalism Committee meeting today, we'll talk about smoked brisket and how that helps us understand the Declaration of Independence a whole lot better. I promise. But in thinking about what I might share today, my dad uh, didn't fly in the Navy, but he became a private pilot afterwards. And he started out with a little Cessna 172, and then he got a Cessna 182 with the retractable gear. He was so proud of it. And we'd fly from Utah to Arizona and all over. And, and when we would fly, almost every time he would say, okay, your engine just went out. Where are you going to land? And we'd scout around and look, and he said, you've got this much distance to be able to land this plane. Where are you going to land? And you'd look out and he said, now remember, pilots die when they quit flying the plane. He says, you fly the plane until it stops. His pilots live through all kinds of crashes. Happens every day. Because they fly the plane until it stops. The ones that die are the ones that throw up their hands and they quit flying the plane and they panic. Fly the plane until it stops. I think that's illustrative for us. We, uh, we ran the Convention of the States resolution in Utah this year. We knew we were going to face opposition. We knew it was going to be a, a, an, an issue that there would be attacks, and there were. Mobilized had great help, great support. Groundwork had been laid by the work that so many have already done. And we got the bill out of committee, and then we got it to the floor of the House. Now, we've been doing our homework, and I had on the co-sponsor sheet, I had more than enough co-sponsors signed on the sheet that I knew we would get it off the floor of the House. And the Senate had told us, and you've, depending on which house you're in, you've, you've, you've heard this from one body or the other, just get it off of your body and no problem in our body, right? Um, you know that story. So in the House, we thought, no problem. We've got enough signed on the line co-sponsors, and, and we had the debate. And the debate was one of the more signature experiences that I've had in my legislative career. Um, again, I respect all of my colleagues. I respect all of you. This is hard, what we're doing, particularly in the times that we're in. We're lucky not to live in pale and timid times. But in the debate, the discussion came up that there's risk. There's risk in this, and there's no guarantee as to where this might go and what might happen. And we don't know. We can't know what will happen. And that was a, a fairly large part of the debate from a, a substantial segment of my house. And the ultimate vote, we, the, we, the, it failed by four votes. I had five of my signed-on co-sponsors that turned without telling me because they felt the risk was too great. The pressure that they got, the attacks that they got was too great. And I found that really instructive. When they say there's no guarantee, at the time and even now today we see it even more clearly, there is a guarantee. 
There's absolutely a guarantee that a year from now, we'll be a trillion dollars deeper in debt. A year from now, we'll have 50 to 90,000 additional pages of regulation. A year from now, the federal government will have added to the more than 5,000 federal felonies that criminalize every aspect of your constituents' daily lives. A year from now, I love the term that Governor Huckabee used, a year from now, the extreme court will have taken away the jurisdiction of your states and your legislative bodies. The jurisdiction that was designed to be few and defined to the federal government, numerous and indefinite to the states and the state legislatures. Those are guarantees. Those are guarantees I can make without reservation. We know that. And so we have a plane that is descending rapidly. And it's a wonderful time to be alive. Because we've been given a tool. We've been given a tool in Article 5 where they understood that power centralizing would continue to centralize and gave the states the power to pull that descent out. We have to fly the plane no matter what happens until it stops. Hopefully it never stops. But even if there's risk, we have to fly it until it stops. Something that came to me, occurred to me after this, this vote, there's risk. And, and we don't know if we trust these legislators in other states. California. Illinois, well, you know, what have you. We don't know if we can trust them. And, and it occurred to me that uh, in the founding period, it wasn't different. It wasn't any different. There were leaders among leaders. Leaders stepped up to establish an experiment in liberty, in self-government, in self-determination. And among those leaders, there were leaders because there were doubts and there were risks and they were not sure where to go and how are we going to do this and it's too scary and I don't know if we can, we can do this. And did you remember, we're trying to take on the British over here that, by the way, have the most well-funded, well-equipped, well-trained army in the world and, and we don't even have a bank account. There's risk involved and yet the leaders among leaders understood it was a wonderful time to be alive that they were lucky not to live in pale and timid times, and they took the opportunity with, with what we have now in front of us. We have an opportunity with, with an initial set of rules to embrace the risk. Are we going to say there's no risk? Of course not. Of course not. Our, our legislative service is fraught with risk in all sorts of things, but the risk of doing nothing we know is tremendous. That's a guarantee. That's absolutely a guarantee. And so as leaders among leaders, we have the opportunity to take what we've started here, and I'm so grateful to Alec for what they've done to provide this forum that we can have this discussion on how do we use the tools that have been uniquely bestowed upon state legislatures in our constitutional system, because really we'll have no one to blame but ourselves if we continue to allow year after year to pass by. I want to close with something I was reading this morning. I was led to, uh, in, in my meditation this morning, my scripture study, you all know Esther 4, 14, of course, right? Who knows but what we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And we know that. And it's a, it's a wonderful, comforting, inspiring phrase. But I was looking before that and after that and, and, and had a new, maybe a new insight, at least for me. The start of verse 14 says, if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, 
Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to a kingdom for such a time as this? This is a blessed land. This is a blessed land. And, and liberty and self-determination is in the hearts and the DNA of our people. Someone will stand up. If we hold our peace at this time, no matter, someone will stand up. We may lose blessings that, that were available to us and our family and our posterity. Someone will stand up. But who knows if we were not brought for such a time as this. And then it says in verse 16, Go gather together all the Jews that are present. Fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days nor night. Also I and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. This is not a time to hold our peace. By any means. We have this power afforded to us constitutionally to act. But silence in the face of evil is itself evil, and God will not hold us guiltless. Not to act is to act. Not to speak is to speak. I would encourage you to join this uh, Convention of States Caucus. Engage in this process. Be leaders among leaders to establish the procedures. Eliminate as much risk as possible. We're never going to eliminate all the risk. But be leaders among leaders and commit that we're going to fly this plane until it stops. No matter what happens, because we know that the risk right now is too great, but also the opportunity is tremendously great. I am so honored to serve with you. I would much rather not be doing this. I think most of you feel likewise. But uh, I have four children that I love dearly. And I love this nation dearly. I don't know why, but from as young as I can remember, whenever they'd have the parades and the soldiers would march in the parades, I would tear up as a, as a four-year-old, as a five-year-old. And that flag would go on what they've sacrificed and what they've given. This is too great. This is too great a moment, the liberty and the, and the, the principles that we have in this nation and if the United States falls, there's no one there to pick that up, to stand for those principles, the rights and protection of the entire world, the principles for the entire world. That may sound heady and, and uh, melodramatic, but you all know. You see the headlines. You see where we're at. It is such a time as this. And uh, I would encourage you, and, and I know because I've had the opportunity to associate with you here over these past four or five years, be leaders among leaders. It's time to step up on this. Thank you very much. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.